Oh, good morning. Wow. Well, welcome to Bridgewater. Um, if I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is, oh, Keith, your stuff's all in my way. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, um, Keith, get your stuff out of my way, dude. My name's Tim, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are actually excited that you're here today. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody where you could see everything that was going on in their life. It was quite big and obvious to you and everybody except for them. But to them, it was kind of just invisible. Or they were just unwilling to even recognize that that thing was there. You ever met someone like that? Well, for a moment, can we just not talk about this unoffendable thing? Can we just address the elephant in the room? I mean, this balloon is gigantic. It's enormous, right? I mean, look at this guy. This is like our ego. And so many times you and I are hurt and offended because we have an overinflated, exaggerated, bloated, swollen ego that tends to bump into everyone and everything. And no matter who we are around, we bump into them, they bump into us, and we get hurt, we get offended. Here's what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says this. This is precisely how the human ego works. It hurts when it's inflamed. Sure, it's always there. Everyone's got an ego. But when it's oversized, it's constantly being injured or threatened. When, there's all, when it's all about me, I'm constantly aware of myself, bracing myself for ego injury. And so many times we get hurt, we get offended, and, and you know what this is like, right? You're driving to work, you're going to a meeting, maybe you're going to pick up the kids because, hey, the last two times you totally missed it, right? And all of a sudden someone cuts in front of you and you are offended, you're mad, you're furious because like, hey, 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 I got to be somewhere, buddy. I'm going to work. I'm going to be late. I got to go to this appointment. I need to be at this meeting. I got to pick up the kids or drop off the kids, and all of a sudden, you cut in front of me. Who are you, buddy? Or you're at work, and you've been there a long time. You've been there, what, 10 years? You come in early. You stay late. You work harder than everybody else. You produce more results. You crank out more widgets than anybody else on the line. And time after time, you keep getting overlooked for the promotion. I mean, don't they know how talented you are? Don't they know how hard you work? Or you're married and let's say, man, it, it seems like your spouse never acknowledges or never recognizes how hard you work to provide for the family or how hard you work to take care of the kids or take care of the things that are going on at the house. Your kids certainly don't acknowledge that. I mean, all of the work and effort and money and time you put into it and nobody even cares. Seems like nobody even acknowledges the talents and the skills or the abilities you have because we have this overinflated ego. Brant Hansen says this. Brant says, if you're constantly being hurt, offended, or angered, you should honestly evaluate your inflated ego. Where you are humble, you're not constantly thinking, how do I look? Or 
Am I a success? Or what do they think of me? Because we have this incredibly large ego, always in the way, inflated every time I'm hurt or offended. <laughs> it's this guy, right? Now we need to ask, when I've been offended, what, what's really been hurt? Is it me or is it my ego? And today we're going to talk about that. What does it look like? How can we come up with a solution so we deal with these offenses and figure out, is it really an offense? Is, is it really a hurt? Is it really something that someone has done to wrong me or is it simply my ego? So if you have your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be there in just a minute. Paul is writing to this church in Philippi, and as he's writing them, he's actually writing from prison, and he's talking to them about what does it look like to follow Jesus. But not only does it look like to follow Jesus, what does it look like for a church to be healthy and unified? So Philippians chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So he has this if then statement. If all of these things are true, then complete my joy. And he goes after these four ideas of unity. Here they are. He's talking about being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and being in one mind with Jesus. That's what he's talking about. If all of these things are true, if there really is unity with Jesus, if, if we could all have the same love with Jesus, he's assuming all of these things are true. Then he says, complete my joy. How? He says, don't be so focused about this selfish ambition. He, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That vain conceit is this idea of empty glory. This right here is empty glory. This is our ego. It is puffed up. It is swollen. And inside, it's empty. It looks big. It looks really, really impressive. And so do you. As you walk around with your ego, so do I with, with my resume of all the things that I've done, all the things I bring to the table, how I give, how I serve, how I help, all the skills and abilities and talents. But inside, it's empty. It's really interesting because he says something very similar in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. He talks about not being puffed up. He says, when you're puffed up, it's this idea of an organ that is swollen up, inflated, overinflated with air, that you're puffed up, and it's this idea of your ego. And inside, it's, it's not only empty, but it's also pretty fragile. I mean, <laughs> poke this thing wrong, and it's becoming deflated really, really quickly. 
somebody bumps you, somebody criticizes you, somebody says the wrong thing, and all of a sudden, you're hurt. But is it really that your feelings are hurt, or is it your ego? I think it's, a lot of times, it's our ego. It's our ego. And so many times, we get caught up on all of our preferences, right? And Paul is saying, we got to fight for the unity of the church. In our relationships, in our marriages, we got to have this unity with our, with our kids, with our parents, with our grandparents, with our coworkers, our bosses, the people in the community. Like, there's got to be something going on in our relationships. Because when we have this overinflated ego, we are easily offended. So many times we, we see this people being pulled in all sorts of different directions here in the church. Tim, I wish our music was louder. Tim, could we turn the volume down lower? Tim, I really love the songs. What if we sang this song? Tim, could we sing these songs instead? Hey, Tim, I love the topical sermons, but could you do more expository preaching? Could you do like preach through a book? Hey, Tim, could you actually do more topical sermons? Like we could split and divide really, really quickly if we're not unified. And so many times we are offended because of our ego, because we want our preferences. And we take our preferences and we make those the more important thing, more important than the mission, more important than go and make disciples, more important than, than how people follow Jesus, teaching them all things. So Paul says, instead of that, put off the pride, put on humility. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Now imagine that just for a moment. In your marriage, what would it look like to value your spouse above yourself? Imagine what would happen in your marriage if both people began to do that. Imagine if that took place in the relationship with your kids or with your parents. You begin to value their interests as more important, as more significant than yourself. Imagine if you took that approach as you worked with your boss or your coworkers or people in this church. Say, so you know what? I'm going to value you today more important. I'm going to consider you more significant than myself. And so if we want to stop being easily offended, we've got to do that. Take a look at verse 4. Not looking to your own interest, but to each of you, to the interest of others. Look to the interest of others. Consider the interest of your, your wife or your husband or your kids and, and take those interests and consider those interests more important than yourself. So many times I want my own interests. I want mine because I earned it, because I worked hard and I deserve it. Paul says, that's your ego. The reason we are so easily offended is because we have this overinflated ego. And so instead of that, we need to have this humility. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not the Eeyore approach, another bad day, woe is me. It's not, I'm stupid, I'm a failure, I'm a nobody, I'm nothing. That's not humility at all. It's not being a doormat. It's simply 
thinking of Tim less often, being others-focused, thinking of the people around me and considering them and their interests and who they are as image bearers, as more significant, as more important than myself. So today we're going to talk about what that would look like. Imagine how this could radically change our relationships. And today we're going to give you three ways you can become unoffendable. The first way is to be unoffendable by thinking of others. And imagine today or tomorrow or later this week when you're offended, if you just checked yourself and go, okay, am I being hurt right now? Or is it this guy? Is it my ego? Did you simply bump into my ego? And this is why as a church, we want to be a church. We want to be a campus that is so focused on other people. That's why I keep talking about, hey, come early and park far and sit close and stay late because we want to create an environment when new people come or they haven't been here in a couple years, they show up. And as they show up, you're already here, willing to talk to them. It's uncomfortable because I got my seat. I know where I like to sit. I know where I like to park. I don't really want, I forget their name. I, I see them. But what if as a church, we began to say, hey, can you just remind me of your name real quick? I'm sorry. I, I know I've seen you here before. I know we've talked. Just, I'm, I'm really embarrassed. Can you just remind me? And we were ready to talk to people and engage in people, whether it's their first seven minutes or they've been here for seven years. But imagine, imagine a new family comes in and because you parked far, the best parking spot available is right by the door. It's not a handicapped spot. And they show up with their kids, they check in their kids, and the music's already going, the lights are already down. And because they parked, you parked far, they can park close. And because you're sitting up front, they don't have to sit up front. They can wander in and sit right in the back and just check us out and kind of be a fly on the wall and go, hey, what is this church thing? I've never been to church. I haven't been to church in years. But what if we began to do that often? That was the culture of our church, that they would come here and they would feel loved and known because we started doing these things more often. And we stayed late and talked to people and engaged with them and say, hey, what's going on? How long have you been coming here? Well, hey, anything going on in your life that we can be praying for? We stayed late and we engaged with them because we want to be a church that's focused on the interests of others. And so instead of being offended by people, we're looking to their interests. We're looking to talk to them. We're, maybe we're putting ourselves in their own shoes. I mean, imagine the next time someone cuts you off, which will be probably this week, you just thought, hmm, I wonder what's going on in their life. Man, is it possible they're, they're going to the emergency room right now? Is it possible that one of their kids is in, a, in the middle of a crisis and they're trying to get there really quick? Is it possible that something happened out of the ordinary and they've got to be there or they're really, really sick and they are running on a mission to get there? Is it possible that they just lost their job and they're furious and they're upset and they have no idea what's going on because their world is spinning out of control? And we, we begin to think, hmm, I wonder what might be happening in their life that they're driving like that. And we begin to pray for them 
and we begin to think of them and consider them significant. So instead of laying on the horn or driving past them and giving them half the peace sign, we begin to think and pray for them. But take a look at what Paul says next, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. What does that mean, to make yourself nothing? One translation says that, that he emptied himself. It doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his deity. Jesus never stopped being God. He didn't empty himself of his deity to become man. Because if that was true, he would have died on the cross and he would have been dead. He would have been done. But he was always God. What it means is that he simply chose not to exercise some of those attributes. I mean, Jesus had this attribute called omnipresence, right? He, God is everywhere all at the same time. But was Jesus omnipresent? Was he everywhere all at the same time? No. He chose not to exercise that attribute. God is all-knowing. Was Jesus always all-knowing? Not a trick question, but Luke chapter 2 tells us that he learned and he grew in wisdom. Wait, what? That'll blow your mind. Somehow, Jesus laid that attribute aside and chose to learn and grow in wisdom. <laughs> I don't understand that. All powerful. And yet, he chose not to like blast his enemies out of existence, could have. And so Jesus never stopped being God. He was the God who created everything, spoke it all into existence, holding everything together, all-powerful, all-knowing, the King of kings. And yet he laid some of those attributes and chose not to use some of those. He gave up his independent exercise of authority. And he didn't do that all by laying things aside and not using them. He did it also by taking on the form of a servant. Jesus, the King of Kings, came to serve. Washing the disciples' feet, doing things that nobody thought a king ought to do, because he cared for you. He loved you. And so the second way that we can be unoffendable is by being a servant. Be unoffendable by being a servant. I mean, imagine next time you're offended, next time you're hurt, if you just changed your mindset a little bit and thought, hmm, I wonder if this is my ego right now. And if this is my ego, if I'm simply hurt because of your criticism or your snarky reply or your sarcasm or your bad driving or, or something that's out of my control, if I'm simply offended by this because you hurt my ego, what if I began to serve that person? What if I, I began to look at them as more significant? Because our culture is telling us the complete opposite. Our culture says, 
get the best job, climb the corporate ladder, make more money, get a pool and have someone clean it for you, get a massive lawn and hire somebody to maintain it for you, get a large massive kitchen and hire them to come and cook and clean for you. That's what our culture is about. You have the most toys, you win. But Jesus flipped all of that upside down and he said, I came to serve. Let me show you a picture. Anyone recognize this, this little girl? Right, you know her. If you're not familiar with her, I'll, I'll catch you up. A little girl named Violet and uh, she's one of, I think, five kids who gets a golden ticket to go into Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory to get an incredible tour. And you can bring your mom or dad or grandparents. You can bring somebody with you. They're going through this tour, and Violet is obsessed with chewing gum. In fact, she says she's the world record holder for chewing gum. She is self-centered, prideful, and arrogant. They walk into this inventing room, and uh, Willy Wonka begins to talk about this gum that he invented. Here, watch this. That's all. Don't you know what this is? My gum, it's gum. Wrong. It's the most amazing, fabulous, sensational gum in the whole world. What's so fab about it? This little piece of gum is a three-course dinner. Bull. No, roast beef, but I haven't got it quite right yet. I don't care. Oh, I wouldn't do that. I really wouldn't. So long as it's gum, then that's for me. Violet, now don't you do anything stupid. <gasps> What's it taste like? Mm. It's tomato soup. It's hot and creamy. I can actually feel it running down my throat. Stop. Don't. Why doesn't she that's listen to Mr. Wonka? Because, Charlie, she's a nitwit. This sure is great soup. Hey, second course is coming up. Roast beef and a baked potato. Mmm. With sour cream? <laughs> What's for dessert, baby? Dessert? Here it comes. Blueberry pie and cream. It's the most marvelous blueberry pie I've ever tasted. Holy Toledo. What's happening to your face? Cool it, Dad. Let me finish. Yeah, but your face is turning blue. Violet, you're turning violet, Violet. What are you talking about? I told you I hadn't got it quite right yet. You can say that again. Look what it's done to my kid. Always goes wrong when we come to the dessert. Mm. Always. Violet, what are you doing now? You're blowing up. I feel funny. I'm not surprised. What's happening? You're blowing up like a balloon. Like a blueberry. Somebody do something. Call a doctor. Stick her with a pin. She'll pop. It happens every time. They all become blueberries. You've really done it this time, haven't you, Wonka? I'll break you for this. Oh, well, I'll get it right in the end. Help! Help! Oh, we gotta let the air out of her quick. There's no air in there. Hmm? That's juice. Juice? Would you roll the young lady down to the juicing room at once, please? I mean, Willy Wonka warned her. <laughs> he said, I wouldn't do that. And then even her dad came alongside and said, don't do anything stupid. And she didn't listen. She was prideful, arrogant, self-centered. Her ego was inflamed, inflated. And because of that, she turned into a massive blueberry. I mean, how can you serve anybody when you're that big? It's pretty difficult. But she was so consumed with being first. She wanted to be the first person to chew that gum and experience that. She was so consumed with herself, she didn't listen to anybody. She snatched that gum, put it in her mouth, and her ego got the best of her. But we need to be a people who set our egos aside to serve, 
And so July 30th, we have an incredible opportunity called Be the Church. And I know you don't have anything going on that Sunday because you're typically here. And so what we want you to do is come here. We're going to give you an orange shirt and we're going to send you all out into the community to serve. So bring your kids, your grandkids, and come ready to serve because there's an incredible opportunity. And we're going to be doing things like taking care of lawns or doing projects like building a deck for somebody or a ramp for a handicapped person in our, in our community. Uh, we're going to go to Schnurbush ba Baseball Park in the Little League Field. We're going to help organize their equipment. And here's what happened last year when we did this. Last year, I got calls from people in the community, people I didn't even know. They're like, are you the pastor at Bridgewater Conklin? I'm like, yes, <laughs> maybe. Do you want to speak to Jeff? <laughs> And they were just amazed because one lady said, everywhere I went, I saw people with orange shirts from your church out in the community serving. I, went, I, I drove by the baseball field. I saw people in orange shirts. I drove by this other park. I saw people in orange shirts. I drove by this one person's house and there were more people with orange shirts. What are you guys doing? I said, you know what? We just love our community. And we want to go out and be in the community. And so one day a year, we set that aside to go and be the church, to serve. And even if you're not physically able, or you're like me, and you're like hammer and nails, like I will smash my thumb real quick. We have things here, inside, writing notes of encouragement, sending out mailers. We're going to do a free car wash. I mean, if you can't spray a car, at least sit in a chair and, right, do that. Or at least stand by the road and say, hey, free car wash. Or sit by the road. But we want to be a church that is known for serving and loving our community. And the only way we can do that is if we take our inflated ego and we deflate it and put it aside and say, you know what? Today's going to be different. It's going to feel different. It's going to look different. But we're going to serve. Imagine what would happen if we as a church sent out hundreds of people to go and be the church. But take a look at the third reason. Let's take a look at verse eight. And being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself, that's Jesus, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus literally laid down his life for you and for me. Humbled himself. The king of kings came on, took on the role of a servant he was the only one that could have showed up on earth and said, you, serve me. You, follow me. You, all, I am magnificent. I am great. I am the king of kings. And he didn't do that at all. He came and he served. He came and he laid down his life. He sacrificed for you and for me. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that you and I should have died, that you and I should have deserved. We did deserve all so that he could radically change and transform your life to make forgiveness possible. But he wasn't offended. There was a lot of people that did offensive things, wrong things, hurtful things, mean things, spitting on him, beating him, punching him calling him blasphemous, mocking him. He was never offended. He didn't have an overinflated ego. 
yet he was the king of kings, walking in humility. So here's the third way. Be unoffendable by submissive sacrifice. What if next time someone bumps into my ego, someone bumps into your ego, you decide to put aside the ego and sacrifice? What would that look like? What would it look like in your home, in your neighborhood, at your workplace? If you just thought for a moment, you know what, instead of being upset about this, I'm going to give up something. I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to make sure that, that we work towards reconciliation with this. Because I could get them back, I could get even, I could pay them back, or I could overcome evil with good. I could sacrifice, give up my inflated ego. But he, he goes off and talks about something very similar in 2 Corinthians. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, right in light of everything he just said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You are brand new. The old has gone. The new is here. Verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You represent Jesus at the workplace, in your home, in your relationships, in your neighborhood, with everybody that you interact with. You're an ambassador talking on his behalf, acting and reacting on his behalf. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That if you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, he's given you this incredible ministry of reconciliation. And he's called each of us to be an ambassador, to go out and speak on his behalf, to drive on his behalf, to interact with your boss and your coworkers and your kids and your parents and your spouse on his behalf. So I have to get rid of this inflated ego. I have to, to take this ego and move it out of my way. But we have to make a choice. You know, we can choose to say no to our ego and yes to humility. But how do we do that? Well, we got to deflate this guy. This thing is so big. We have to deflate this. Somehow I have to take steps towards deflating this guy. 
in my marriage, I have to be willing to take steps as a husband or as a wife this week. I need to be quick to admit when I've been wrong. Meaning going to my spouse and saying, you know what? What I did, that was wrong. I need to be first. I need to be quick to get over myself. Also, when I fight, and, and you will if you're married, I need to make sure I take 100% of that ownership. And I need to deflate my ego. Now, I'm not saying when you fight, it's always your fault. There's two people in that fight. But whatever part of that pie is mine, I need to be willing to own it and deflate my ego. This week, what if this week you considered your spouse, your husband or your wife, more significant than yourself? Their interests, what they love to do. And what if you, you took note and you said, okay, what are all the chores around the house, around the, the yard that they just, they don't really like to do? Like that's not their jam. And you began to do those chores for them because you were considering their interest above your own. Or what if at work this week, you decided you're gonna deflate your ego and you're gonna own your mistakes. You're not gonna blame shift. I'm not gonna blame it on Reed or Jeff or whomever. I'm just gonna say, hey, you know what, boss? That's on me. I did that. Or I didn't do that. Hey, boss, you, you asked me to, to send out that email this week and I didn't, so you know what? I'm gonna deflate my ego. I'm gonna take full ownership of that and I'm gonna send it out right away. That's on me, boss, I'm sorry. Or what if in, in the other areas of my life, I just decide, hey, the person that I'm struggling with most, I'm just gonna deflate my ego and I'm gonna start serving them. I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna go out of my way and say, hey, how can I help this week? What can I do as I, as I try to deflate my ego, as I try to put you above myself? Or what if this week I decided, hey, I'm going to look for, let's say, three to five opportunities just to praise people around me and say, hey, I love how you did that. This week you did an amazing job. You did great at this, this, and this. And I began to deflate my ego. What would happen in our marriages in our workplace, in the other areas of our lives, if we begin to do that on a regular basis. And so this week, when you get hurt, we need to ask ourselves, is this an offense or is this my ego? Let me pray with you. God, you are amazing and you continue to give us your wisdom through your word. Grateful for all that you do. And uh, I recognize that even in myself, I'm likely to get offended because I have an overinflated ego. Sometimes I find myself being easily hurt because of my own ego. And today, as we get ready to go, this week, as we are out and about doing life, would you please remind us just to check our ego, to check the pride underneath our ego and deflate that. And we would find opportunities to consider other people 
more significant than ourselves. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.